hello to Jean and Valaren, and it's lovely that you could be our guest here on our Humans at Work podcast. And we're really looking forward to having a conversation with you in and around leadership and human skills and anything else that emerges in the process. So, Gina, maybe you can kick off by sharing a little bit about who you are, what you do, and the kinds of clients that you're working with. Thank you very much for the introduction, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. I work for a company called Verbalistics. You can imagine verbal plus ballistic equals making your words go mental. And this is my passion that drives me effectively. How can people be great communicators in a way that helps them add meaning to the world? Now, this is a big ask. Do you need to be an excellent communicator to be able to change the world? I think it makes it easier. I believe that my purpose is to help people eliminate human suffering at work. That sounds like a really big ask. And, you know, it's far too big for one person to even begin to contemplate. But what I'm finding is having articulated that, there are more and more people who I think are working towards that common purpose. And so on a day-to-day basis, I work with organizations, mostly in the software space or software as a service or those who provide services plus software, who would need help communicating. Having come from a marketing background myself, it might be that I'm working with the CMOs of software companies to help when their teams are simply overwhelmed and they need an extra pair of writing hands. Or it might be actually coaching leaders in marketing or beyond who need help with communication. They don't realize that they need help with communication and connection because they assume that there are other business problems that are causing what are, in fact, communication disconnects. And the third element of what I do is getting to share messages with people like yourself and your audience to really get them enthused and inspired about why work can be meaningful and how to help people in their organizations create meaningful work and feel proud of what they do every single day. Fantastic. What a beautiful introduction and overview. And the first thing that I want to dive into is your comment on human suffering. So what I'd like you to talk about is what is some of the human suffering that you see in workplaces that drives you to do what you do? I'll begin with the story, if you don't mind. I worked for many organisations before I started my own business and realised that something was missing, but I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was. I just knew that I came away feeling like I was somehow not good enough or I somehow couldn't do what the organization was requiring of me, even though I would consistently achieve the results that they were expecting, or at least the results that I'd been tasked with. And what ended up happening is that I felt like there was a disconnect between what I was bringing to the organization, what they needed in order to be able to keep their customers happy, or at least produce work, and how that actually translated into the real world. And I identified that as a lack of leadership. So the story is actually a leader who I had who inspired me to join the company, who made me realize that this they had this awesome potential to help people change business. This was actually just a piece of software that helped people automate the processes that they used in, in documents. But it made a massive difference. Unfortunately, when this leader left the organization, it was like the hope had gone as well. And that made me realize that what he brought to the company wasn't just a sense of direction and a sense of purpose. It was actually a sense that every single person in the organization had a role to play. 
and that he had chosen these people to learn and grow together, to create amazing things together and together to be more than the sum of their parts. And that was what actually inspired me, the straw that broke the camel's back to write The Secret Army, Leadership, Marketing and the Power of People, because it effectively was a manifesto, a frustration with bad management and leadership practices, coming back to the end of feeling like, yes, there should be a purpose at work. And humans shouldn't be suffering every single day doing a job that they have to do to earn a living just so that they can pay for their rent and so that they can go on holiday once a year or however often they want to. Human suffering at work isn't just about the day-to-day stuff that you do that you hate doing. It's actually about thinking, am I being valuable? Am I being meaningful as a human? Now, we can go to an extreme. We can look at human suffering at work in the sense of the WHO saying that human suffering at work is actually when people have bad working practices and they get ill from working practices and they work in unfair or or underpaid or dangerous conditions. That is a very important part of suffering at work, but that's not what I think we suffer with in the Western and indeed the far Southern world, this part of Australia. I think what we suffer with is a combination of mental health issues that are related to extreme work stress and a sense of a lack of purpose. So sometimes human suffering can actually just mean that we don't like what we're doing because we don't see a reason for doing it. Or maybe we just don't feel like we're in control of our own workloads or we're in control of our own work lives. And this is a much, much bigger issue to address than a single person in a single role. And it is effectively a a subject that an entire organization can look at and go, how are we helping people at one level do what they need to do well so that they feel they have a bigger picture purpose within our organization? But also, how are we serving other people? How are we serving our customers? How are we serving our employees? But more importantly, how are we serving the communities that we interact with? And maybe even how are we serving the planet? Mm. Let's let's go further with the conversation around purpose and particularly purpose as how it relates to leadership because I know in my work and I suspect it might be similar in yours but I'm interested to discuss that is I see a lot of leaders who don't have a strong sense of purpose themselves. So not only are they tasked with being confident and helping everyone else head in a particular direction but double to that they don't have a sense of purpose themselves as individuals so you've got this like double bunger situation what is it that you see in and around leadership and purpose in workplaces I think it's very hard to be expected to be a leader who wants to inspire and drive a team especially if people don't feel that they have any reason for doing the work Now, we can look at the systemic issues of this. We can look at the fact that people may be in roles that they never wanted to do in the first place. It may be that they don't have the education or training or skills, maybe even the soft skills training, that are required to really feel like they understand what purpose is and how they can get the most out of their people. Or it may be actually that we have bigger systemic issues relating to organizations and purpose. And when we look at that, the question is, are organizations in business to make money or are they organizations in business to make a difference? Now, I'm not saying that making money is a bad thing. Indeed, most organizations wouldn't exist if they didn't exist to make money. 
at least if that is to, you know, just cover the costs of running whatever it is if you're doing the charity sector, for example. However, making a purpose is something that requires a different set of perspective. So if you're thinking about leaders who are feeling purposeless themselves, who are being obligated to pass purpose on their employees, like that's a really, really hard ask. Sometimes the answer lies within a lot of introspection, a lot of self-searching, a lot of soul-searching to be able to identify what is it that actually drives me. And sometimes it actually requires looking outside and going, am I in the right place? Because sometimes if you're not aligned with the organization's purpose or you don't believe the organization has a purpose or you don't believe that it actually, this purpose it serves adds to whatever your goals and and requirements are of the world, then you're going to be permanently disconnected. And that means that actually sometimes it's wise to step away from the organization and go, I can't help my people if I don't understand what you want me to do, or I can't help my people if I don't feel motivated and inspired by what you as a company are trying to do. Mm, it seems uh, there's a lot of a lot of conversation about the future of work and what workplaces are going to be like moving forward. And there is, you know, various commentary. People are saying different things. But I'm interested in your view. If you take the fact that we're going to have this increased focus on technology and new sort of tech platforms that don't currently exist, along with the need to develop human skills, how do you think those two coexist and Where does one become more important than the other? So we're talking about technology, the need to develop human skills, and when one becomes more important than the other. So I'm assuming you mean when when a human skill is more important than technology Mm -hmm. and vice versa. versa. Okay. We are living in an increasingly complex world. And as complex as it is right now, it's going to become even more so. Uh, Technology is a driver of change, and it's a driver of behavior. But technology can't exist without the humans that work behind the scenes. Now, I work in software. Uh, Most of my clients are software as a service technology companies who provide technology that is designed to improve efficiency. The nature of the problem that you have when you're trying to combine human skills and technology is that there are always going to be some humans whose activities, not the humans themselves, very important differentiator, some human skills that can be done more efficiently by computers. And this means that if there are very rote, repetitive uh, tasks that are just the same day in and day out, quite frankly, computers are more accurate than humans are. However, there is a very, very big difference between automating a skill that is automatic or that is rote or that is mundane or that is lower level and being able to gather insight from what you do with those skills. So we'll use accounts payable processing, in, you know, invoice processing as an example. Right, someone who's keying in, who's doing data entry for an invoice every single day and has done it for the last 20 years will immediately know when an invoice comes across their desk that is wrong. And you, can, you maybe you've even been able to do this with emails. Sometimes you'll get emails that are spam and you look at it and you go, this email is wrong, but I don't know why it's wrong. And then when you drill down into it, you might find that the logo, while similar, is actually not the same logo as the person who'd sent you the spam or that the the subject line just feels a little bit off. 
This is the unique human skill that anyone can bring to a task that robots can't automate. Sure, they can say, you know, your dress doesn't match up and you change your dress. Why did you change your dress? But they can't bring this intuition to a task. Now, that doesn't mean that humans shouldn't be, in some instances, replaced by automation when it's, when it's necessary, when it's useful. But the combination lies in using technology plus human insight. And that's where the real difference comes along. So if you are, to go back to the previous example, um, automating invoice data entry, can you upskill the people who are working for your organization to be able to use more of those uniquely human elements? Can you help them identify that those intuitive things that they knew something was wrong can actually be used for something else? Or can they be moved into customer service where they can actually see that I know all of these lines of an invoice should be like this and they're not. Let me help fix that problem. Let me have a conversation with the human being. Let me talk to other human beings like a human being so we can resolve issues. So effectively, to answer the question of what is the balance between a focus of technology and a focus on human skills and where does that go in the future of work, the answer is they cannot exist without each other and they never will exist without each other. But I believe in order to be more truly and fully human, we have to be able to look at the data and the technology and use that to our own advantage. But that also means that as humans, we have to be able to be more human through elements like humility, through elements like knowledge and understanding, through being able to admit when we are wrong and being able to say, I'm sorry, I'm being less than perfect today. Help me out. Part of being human means interacting with other humans with compassion, with understanding, and also being able to help people achieve more through interesting ideas and creativity. Productivity only goes so far humanness takes you to a whole new level. So you've mentioned some of the skills, but I'd like you to go into that more deeply. What are some of the human skills that we should be looking to increase in our workplaces moving forward? In an ideal world, it would be wonderful to be really great at empathy. It would be really wonderful to be great at listening. It would be fantastic to know that we were all experts at identifying body language, at reading between the lines, at supporting and understanding other people. Yes, those are absolutely human skills that we need at work, but it doesn't all come naturally. There's actually a lot of room for people being able to understand what they're doing well and what they could improve on. You know, fundamentally, any kind of coaching is based on the desire of humans to learn. And if you want to learn, then you can change your behavior. But what has to come first is actually people wanting to make change happen. You can give all the coaching and the training in the world to someone. But if they actually don't want to take any of that on board, then the uniquely human skills that they possess cannot be improved because we just won't be open to making those change happen. So let's assume that someone really does want to change and they want to improve a human skill. And let's assume they've even identified that a human skill that they'd like to improve is listening. What would some of the alternatives be for this person on how to go about creating a development pathway for improving their listening capacity? Okay, 
So we're using uh, listening as an example of how we how someone would want to improve their skills. You're asking me about how could they create a development pathway to be able to improve their listening skills. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. I'm not an educator, although I have lectured people. I'm not an HR person, although I have worked with many in my past and learned a great deal from them. So to say that I could prescribe a learning or development pathway for anyone is a bit arrogant for me to assume that I know better than the experts. So what I'm going to do is guess and to use my own personal experience in terms of what I've found and people have actually done in order to prove their own learning. When someone identifies that they're not as great a listener as they could be, they've already gone through that journey pathway. We know that the admission or admittal, basically saying, I know there's something wrong, is the first step to recovery. It means that if you already know you're not a great listener, you're 50% of the way through that journey. Maybe not 50% in terms of the time and the, the exercises required to do it, but at least you know that there's a problem. So once you know that there's a problem, the next challenge is how do you find a solution to that problem? And the next challenge is what way of learning is going to help you get better at that challenge? I found with listening skills, and as an example, that saying to a client, are you okay? Do you want to listen? Do you want to learn to listen better? When they go, yes, I would actually, we can talk about how is it that they prefer to learn? Some people may prefer to learn by uh, observing stuff. Some may prefer to learn by listening. Some may prefer to learn by engaging in activities. What I usually find works best is a combination of the different factors that work specifically for someone. But then what also works really well is when you can see them struggling with an element of that. So we can test things and go, I want to learn about listening by, for example, reading, reading a book or watching a video on YouTube or uh, reading an article from the internet. Great, fantastic. You've got the knowledge. But how do you turn that knowledge from theory into practice? The next step of that is actually being able to apply it. And like any learning and coaching, and if you want to improve a skill, you've got to practice, 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 practice. They talk about 10,000 hours of practice before you really become an expert at a skill. Maybe we all need 10,000 hours of practice at learning and listening to become expert listeners. I hope not. There are some shortcuts. One of the shortcuts in learning is being able to be taught. And so if we use learning a musical instrument as an example, you can practice for 10,000 hours. But if you never say, well, why is my fingering wrong? Or why does this musical note sound off and someone isn't able to teach you what the difference is between good and what you're doing, you won't be able to take that next step. So to come back to the end of the story, effectively, great listening and going on a development pathway to become a great listener is about identifying that you have a problem. It's about knowing how you can fix that problem through whichever modalities are better for you, listening, enacting, reading, or even making things real by doing it in practice, then practicing, reflecting on your action, and being able to observe it in a real-life scenario. The last and most interesting element for me is actually to be able to see people who've gone through that learning journey reflecting on themselves and their practice as they're going through that journey, to be able to say, wow, I had a really great experience today. I listened to someone and I observed myself doing this behavior differently to what I had done in the past. And it becomes this release of endorphins and excitement to go, oh, wow, look, I've absorbed this skill. It's become second nature. And then you can actually go on to 
teaching other people to do that. I've actually found that a lot of the learning and listening that I have improved over the years has come up because I've been teaching other people how to do it themselves. And uh, I know they say those who can do. Isn't it? (laughs) I beg your pardon? I said that's often the best way to learn. Absolutely, yeah. I think you learn so much more yourself uh, when you're teaching other people. It is the ultimate self-reflection and incredibly valuable. I agree. And for our wrap-up question for today, our time's gone fast, but what I'd love you to be able to share is any insights or recommendation or advice for people in workplaces today? How can we get along better? How can we get along better with people in our existing workplaces today? Well, the simple answer is be more vulnerable. Your organisation is called Be More Human. What does that actually mean? Well, being human means that we take the organic witness that is ourselves <laughs> and contrast that with what an automaton would do. Now, I'm not having discussions here about the depth of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning because they can actually be remarkably human-like in their approaches. But what people can do at work is give and receive compassion. Be better listeners share more effectively. Be more aware of the emotions that they're inspiring in other people and be more aware that the responses that they're getting from people aren't necessarily related to what they've just said or what they've just done. And so effectively, I think in order to be more human, we can also borrow a little bit from our uh, techno counterparts. We can also borrow a little bit of reflection, a little bit of distancing, a little bit of mind balance that goes wait what I heard is that a reflection on my behavior or is it actually that there might be something else going on in this person's life and then turning that into something that we really have control over as human beings which is to say are you okay in Australia recently we had a day set aside for nothing but asking people are you okay and I think if there's one thing that we can do to be able to create better workplaces, to help reduce or even eliminate human suffering at work, it is to ask honestly and answer honestly that question, are you okay? So powerful and and so accurate. And I think to in order to be able to do that, it shows your vulnerability but also that of the other person. And that's where you're really having a true human experience is where both people are having an interaction that's vulnerable. Gina, where can people find you if they want to be able to look into your work in more detail? The best place to find me is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Gina Ballerin, G-I-N-A-B-A-L-A-R-I-N. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn because in, to a certain extent, you can actually create relationships with people you've never met. That's how we did it. And you end up getting to know each other in this digital format in a way that enhances human communication. You can also look up verbalistics.com.au. That's V-E-R-B-A-L-L-I-S-T-I-C-S. Verbalistics is making your words go mental power. Combination of verbal and ballistics. (laughs) But really, you know, just reach out to me. If you find my email address online, just send me a message. All I ask is keep it human. Because the whole point is that great leadership comes from people who are able to understand their own vulnerabilities as well as the vulnerabilities of their team and the organization and find interesting and innovative ways of helping people achieve more together. 
it's a uh, it's a rather trite statement, but the acronym team together everyone achieves more is actually true because we really do. No man is an island, and the more we can collaborate with other people with humanity and understanding, the better we can be, the better our organizations can be, and the more we'll be able to serve our customers too. And the quicker we can end suffering in the workplaces. Thank you Absolutely. so much, Gina. I appreciate your words of wisdom and your insight. Thanks so much for being on our podcast, Humans at Work. Please go ahead and share this podcast with other people who you think might like to have a listen and contact Gina directly on LinkedIn. Thanks so much. <laughs>